It's actually it's one of the most famous foundational verses in the Bible. It thinks about um, our tax to what we have. It's 2 Timothy 3.16. Does anyone quote that? 2 Timothy 3.16. Oh, I know what that is. Can you, can you tell me? Anyone? Anyone? No. Let me tell you, this is a verse that you, sh- you should know. All right. So if you're looking for a verse to memorize this week, Second uh, Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now, we look to this verse and we understand the inspirations of the Scriptures, right? We, we look and say that all that we hold in our hands, the Bible is, is the Word of God. And we look to that from Genesis to, to Revelation and we can trust it because it's been inspired by God. We can be trained by it. We can live by it. But I, I would have you to think, though, back in 2 Timothy 3.16, what, what Paul was talking about because he wasn't talking about our Bible. He was talking about a portion of our Bible. He was talking about the Old Testament. To Timothy, he said, remember that that you know the Scriptures which were able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation which is in Jesus. And he was talking about the first, whatever, three-fourths of our Bible. Now, by extension, certainly that, uh, that, that comes to everything. Okay? I'm not, not saying that that denies the inspiration of all of our Bible. It, it includes all of that. But what he's talking primarily about was the Old Testament. So think about what that says. That means that all the Old Testament is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. And as I'll apply it today, as it says, all Scripture, that is every portion of Scripture, that's all books of the Bible, I'm going to say Leviticus is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequate Equipped for every good work. And so my, my hope and prayer as we are going through the book of Leviticus, this is our third week now, is that we would be taught and we'd be corrected and we'd be trained in godliness and righteousness through this Old Testament book because it also is breathed out by God. In fact, even today we'll just hear of God speaking. It's Moses speaking, but it's God through him of how he ought to be approached. So let's pray together for God's illumination. Lord, the fact that You wrote Scripture means that it's not a matter of one's own interpretation. It's not like we can play fast and loose with the Word of God and that we can come up with our own fanciful understandings and interpretation of what Your text says. But it is, God, Your interpretation. As You move men by Your Holy Spirit and as they wrote from You, God, so also we look to You now for understanding and clarity and discernment God, how to understand and interpret these difficult words. Uh, I pray that through our time in Leviticus that You would make us a holy people as we have grabbed onto the theme of Leviticus. You shall be holy. You should be a holy and pure people. We looked last week even upon the burnt offering that was totally consumed, that's costly, that seems wasteful, O Lord. I pray that we would worship You in that way daily coming before You, daily turning from our sin, daily expressing our need upon You God, for You to come and, and to help us. Second Timothy 5.15 says that You died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. And so, Lord, I pray You would help us to be holy, not living for ourselves, but living for our neighbor, loving our neighbor as ourself. And so, Lord, as we come to the grain offering, which is tricky in some regards. I pray that You would help us and teach us and open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things out of Your law. So be with us now, O Lord, to do a work here that I could never do. God, to penetrate deep in our hearts and give us a love for You, a love for Leviticus, a love for Jesus as we see Him foreshadowed in these offerings. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you haven't done so already, I invite you to open your Bible to the book of, of Leviticus. And this morning we're looking at the grain offering. 
Right? Do you remember the first five chapters of the book of Leviticus? Starts with the burnt offering and then the grain offering and then the Do we need to review this? Burnt grain, burnt offering, burning grains passed by Cindy's guilt, right? You remember that farmer who calmed the pig down, right? Okay. Chapter one is the burnt offering, chapter two is the grain offering, chapter three is the peace offering, chapter four is the Sin offering, chapter 5 is the guilt offering. Okay, now remember that's not exactly there, but it's good enough and will help us. We are today on the, the grain offering. Now, unlike most of the offerings in the book of Leviticus, this is a bloodless offering. It's an offering of grain, not meat. Now, if you have the King James Version, the Bible in your lap, you'll see that this is called a meat offering. Now you say, well, why is that? Well, that's simply because the archaic language, it means like meat as in meal, as in mm, eat, the eating offering, the, the meat, the food, meal offering. Because it's clear as you read this chapter, it's not talking about meat, it's talking about grain that's being offered. Different kinds of grain, whatever crops they were growing at that time, whether it's corn or wheat or barley or rye, didn't matter, just needed to be mashed up and brought to the Lord. So I want to read our chapter here this morning. Just kind of put it all in our minds, and then we'll break it up and we'll look, we'll look at it, see what it has to teach us today. Leviticus chapter 2. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. And he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense. And the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. When you bring a grain offering baked in the oven as an offering, it shall be unleavened loaves of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers smeared with oil. And if your offering is a grain offering baked on a griddle, it shall be a fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It's a grain offering. And if your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take from the grain offering its memorial portion and burn this on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is the most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. You shall burn no leaven nor any honey as food offering to the Lord. Aaron's as an offering of first fruits, you may bring them to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma. You shall season all of your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. If you offer a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for a grain offering of your first fruits, fresh ears, roasted with fire, crushed with new grain. And you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It's a grain offering. And the priest shall burn as its memorial portion some of the crushed grain and some of the oil with all of its frankincense. It is a food offering to the Lord. I have three points this morning just to give you some hooks here. My first point is the offering. Just want to begin to, to think about this offering and what they're going to present and bring. The, the chapter breaks down nicely into four sections. The first is in one through three. These are the uncooked offering. This is the flour, or fine flour and oil and frankincense. Not cooked, just kind of all mixed together. The second section is found in verses four through ten. This is a cooked offering. Now, if you remember, it can be cooked in the oven or on the griddle or on the pan. And the uncooked offering is a similar recipe. It's fine flour mixed with oil, though there's no frankincense mentioned in this one. No frankincense added, just two ingredients. The third section is found in verses 11 through 13. It gives more explicit directions on the ingredients of what is to be offered. Particularly, there must be no leaven, there must be no honey, but there must be salt. And the final section speaks of the offering of first fruits. Mentioned 14 through 16 is coming from fresh ears and new grain. All right, there's like the, uh, the outline of that. The protocol of these offerings are pretty similar to what we looked at last week in terms of the, the burnt offering. The, the worshiper would, would make his offering and bring it to the priest. 
And the priest then would take that offering and then offer it on behalf of the worshiper on the altar. In fact, it's the same exact altar that the burnt offering was. Remember, you open the curtain up and, and there about 30 feet in front of you was this seven and a half foot by seven and a half foot um, uh, altar there with the grates on the bottom and had a fire in there and the carcass of the burnt offering was placed on there. And so likewise, this food offering we placed on there and burned up as well. However, unlike the burnt offering, a portion of this grain offering would be given to the priests. They would eat it as their food. In fact, only a small portion of this offering was, was given to the Lord. Look, look at verse 2 of what it says. Only a small portion is burned up. Midway through verses 2, it talks about Aaron, the sons, the priests. He shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil and with all of its frankincense. That is, in other words, he takes, a, takes the oil and the, the, the fine flour with all the frankincense on there and then he burns that as a memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And this handful is called the memorial portion. Um, comes from the Hebrew word zakir, which means to remember. I think what's happening here is that the worshiper presents this, this little bit, right? This, this token of, of the offering, however big it was, a little portion, a memorial portion. Remember that really all this is the Lord's but is offering just a little bit to the Lord. Now, the rest of the offering, apart from that just handful, is for the priest. Look at verse 3. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It's a most holy part of the food offering. Now, this is the way that God determined to take care of his priests. They weren't farmers. They weren't handcrafters. Um, they weren't skilled businessmen engaged in business to make a profit. They didn't have animals they raised. They could sell and earn money from it. They, they had no means, these Levites did, to earn money to sustain themselves and their family because they were busy taking care of the tabernacle and the sacrifices offered upon the altar. And the matter of the tabernacle was a full-time job for the Levites. And God determined that He would support and feed the Levites in one way from the offerings that would come to them. They would... Take a portion to the Lord and eat it for themselves. Now, this wasn't only the grain offering. We'll see this in the peace offering next week. The week after that, we'll see it in the sin offering and in the guilt offering as well. Right? The, the carcass of the animal comes and part of it, particularly its fat, will be offered up on the altar and the priests will be able to eat the leftover portion. At this point, I want to break off into a huge application because there's a parallel between those sacrifices and how... God supported the Levites and how the church is supported today. Uh, turn, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is in the New Testament there. And Paul is talking about his, his freedom. He can uh, do what he wants in the ministry in many ways. He's not sinning, but he can do what he wants. He can take a, a believing wife. And here he's talking in the context of, of giving and receiving particularly. Look at... 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? Now, that's exactly what's being talked about in Leviticus 2, 3, 4, and 5. And particularly, even we're going to see more explicit directions about that from the priest's perspective in chapter 6 and 7. But the Levites who serve in the temple... Get their food from the temple, is what he says. They share in the sacrificial offerings. And then Paul says these four words, in the same way, the Lord commanded those who proclaim the gospel to get their living by the gospel. In the same way, there's a direct parallel between what's happening to the priests and what happens with God's ministers today. Just as the Levites devoted themselves completely to the work of the Lord in the temple and were supported by the Lord's people, so also are ministers of the gospel to devote themselves completely to the work. And those who do and are able to do then are supported by the Lord's people. Now, the mechanisms are different. All right? Christ has come. He's become our perfect sacrifice. 
You don't need to bring today your grain offering or your sacrificial offering. We talked about that last week a little bit, that it's fulfilled in Christ. Right? We're going to take the, the grain, we're going to burn some of it, and then you're going to feed the Brandon family. We're not, we're not going to do it that way. Instead, the offering comes by way of financial gifts. So we do at Rock Valley Bible Church, what most all churches do. Though, there's nothing outside of bringing uh, tangible gifts. Uh, I, so I've been in Nepal and India, and I'm heading out there again in, in about a month or so. Uh, I've been in church services where they have brought grain and rice. Have you been in some foreign lands of that? No? Okay. They bring, and, and, and I'm, I was up there in the front of the... Um, their, <laughs> it's not really an auditorium, okay? I mean, it's like in their room, okay? A small room that's just packed. It's kind of every church I've been in. Most churches. I've been in some big churches. But they, they sometimes have like food right there in front of the altar that they have brought because that's all they have. They're poor people and they bring from what they have. So it's not that you can't do that. You can bring gifts in kind and that's, that's fine. But generally at, here at church, we have an offering box right in the back in which you place your cash or your checks. Pay to the order of Rock Valley Bible Church. And think about it. Our family lives off the money that goes into that little box. We purchase our groceries from the money that goes in that box. We purchase our clothes from the money that goes into that box. We purchase our gas for our cars. We purchase, we pay our electric bills and our telephone bills from money that comes from that box. We enjoy a vacation for money that comes from that box. We pay for our blankets and books and pens and papers and toothpaste and tuition and school supplies and furnace filters and Coca-Cola. I mean, everything that comes from, from your all kindness just to give to us, really, give to the work of the, the ministry. And we're just so thankful for all of you in the ways that you have given so as to be able to support us You've given so graciously and so sacrificially to meet our needs. We've never lacked at Rock Valley Bible Church. Our family has never lacked. God's been faithful. And I just want to say we're thankful to you for that. The principle really comes in verse 11 here in 1 Corinthians 9. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? That's what he's saying. And my, my work is spiritual sowing spiritually, and then your role is as you have received from the Lord. Galatians 6.6, 6, let the one who has taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. I've sought to sow spiritual things and you've allowed us to reap material things and we're thankful to God for that. But your, your gifts and the offering don't just go to support the Brandon family. It supports the whole ministry of the church because there, there's more, a portion of it, a small portion goes to Tina Brown, who does a lot of administrative work for us every week. The bulletins, a lot of slides, worked on that. You're checking out just administrative detail that I don't have to do. I do sometimes, willingly. Tina does a great job. I'm thankful to her. On occasion, organizing things like uh, guests who's coming to dinner or, or even the, the photo directory, which we have new, right? If, if you call Rock Valley Bible Church your home, you should probably get your picture in here. Just email Tina. That would be... Be good about that or organize, does some work. Vacation Bible School does a lot of organizing. Just that's what she does. And, and your finances helps that a little bit. The Miltons, I don't know where they are today. They're, they're not here. But Lance faithfully cleans the church every week. I'm thankful for him also. Just a steady labor to, to come in each week, Friday and normally, and, and just clean. We compensate him for his time. We also have building costs, heating, air conditioning, supplies, repairs, improvements. These all take money, and you all know that, and you all have given your support to this work. Uh, church has helped you spiritually. You have helped the church physically. And I, I thank you for that, and I'm um, just thankful for your faithfulness to this work. I just want to remind you, here's a slide. You pull that slide up there, Chuck, that we put up there every week. This is, uh, we try, whatever, every month or every other month. I'm not sure exactly how often we get this up here, but just a a faithful reminder to you all. We're trying to just be totally transparent with our finances and where they are. And this is, this is where we are. Now, you're right, our four funds. We have the General Fund, Missions, Growth, and Adoption. I talked with Ray. That Missions Fund really should be 25% is what we give away to 
uh, not us. And the general fund should be 64%. We're just trying to model how to live. Just live below your means. And we're, we're being stretched a little bit. You can see where the first green is uh, the income and the yellow is the expense and blue is the budget. And we're, we're behind a little bit. I'm not sure. Is this typical where we are? We're down a little bit more normal. But typical. Okay, down a little bit more than normal. So you can just even think about that. I, I have had people, they don't, I, I remember some, one, um, doesn't attend here anymore, but like, oh, they don't even pass an offering plate. They don't need my money. And so just kind of like, I don't give to the church because they don't need my money because they're not passing a plate. Like, oh, no, we, we need your help to, to help. And so, but you know that we don't push finances here a lot. We trust the Lord. But as you can see what's going on, uh, where we lack, just encourage you to give of your grain offering and of the other offerings to support the work. Just a little reminder. I think that's going on. We're going to see that again in chapter 3, 4, and 5. All right, well, let's get back to Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 2. Because I, I want to give you a perspective on your giving. As you, as you give to the church, you're really giving to the Lord. Now, on, on a purely human level, your, your giving to the church is not like giving to any other nonprofit organization. Right? There's lots of people that give to nonprofits who see a cause, they identify with that cause, and they then give money to that cause, and then you have some 503c benefits, tax deductible benefits that, that come from them. Um, you know, so take some secular, whatever, cure for cancer, you know, the, the cancer things or the Alzheimer's awareness. You know, a lot of those are not ministries, but those are doing good things. And I would encourage you to give to those things to try to, you know, get Alzheimer's, solve Alzheimer's, now that time, or solve cancer, solve other things. Right? Certainly give to that. But those are simply human uh, secular organizations. And the church is not like that. I remember when I was working in a secular workplace in, in the information technology, having a conversation with a guy who was, who was arguing his point. And we didn't have a lot of argument on this, but he basically said that, you know, those at church, they, they give to their own club. And as someone, a friend of his was arguing, no, 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 we're giving to the Lord. He said, no, you're not giving to the Lord. You're giving to yourselves. Because as you give, then that building goes, those program goes, and then those get back to you. And it's just this human thing. Now, there's a lot of truth to that. You all are giving for yourselves so that we have a, a place here. We can minister and serve one another. And so we can benefit and be encouraged. And I, mean, I trust your encourage. I trust your attendance and involvement here is a help to you spiritually. But my friend from work just says, hey, you're, you're no different. It's the Rotary or the Moose Club, right? They all kind of throw in their money and then they get this building and they throw their parties and they can have their weddings there or what, whatever they do. But I want to show you that there is another dynamic going on when you're talking about the Lord and his ministry when you're talking about the church. Notice how the grain offering is described here. Verse 1. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flower. Okay, look at verse 8. And you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. Verse 11. No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. Or verse 12. As an offering of first fruits, you may bring them to the Lord. Or verse 14. If you offer a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord. Verse 15. It is a food offering to the Lord. Now, on a human level, certainly those Israelites, as they gave to the priests and gave to the tabernacle and feed the priests, it was, it was certainly a very human, um, horizontal level group as they would give to the priests and the priests would continue their, their labor for the, the tabernacle and they'd have the tabernacle where they could go and approach God with their, their ministry. If they didn't give this to the priests, the priests would all starve and not be around to be able to support the ministry, be able to support. So there's a lot of a lot of human things going on here. But I, I just want you to see that in a very real way, they were bringing their offering to the Lord, even though they're bringing it to the priest. So I, I trust you see the second dynamic going on here, which is true of, of anything that you give to the church or give to the Lord's work or give to missionaries, is that when you give it to people doing God, you are really giving it to the Lord. That's why people... Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and heal, steal. It's not like you, you write a check right, to, 
to, to God in heaven and put it in the mailbox and it goes to heaven. No, you you write a check or you give money to pastors or missionaries or people in the Lord's work and in giving money to them, you are giving and storing up treasures in heaven because there's a bigger dynamic going on here. And the Lord knows what you give and the Lord is pleased with what you give. I mean, the, this is, one, I, I, again, like the burnt offering. This is a pleasing aroma. Verse 2 at the end, right? It's a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Verse 9 at the end. It's a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And if you give... God is pleased. So I just encourage you to give for your own good. Be generous. Store up a treasure that will not in any way pass away. All right, well, let's move on to my second point. We've seen the offering. Now let's look at the ingredients. Because this is where a lot, of, a lot of confusion and conversations and questions come up. And I would say there's much curiosity here. There's a lot of questions. And quite frankly, I don't have a lot of answers for you today. I hate to disappoint you, but I don't. Because I think that most of the answers are speculation at best. And it might just be that there are no answers to these questions. For instance, right? suppose someone asks what your favorite meal is. Right? My favorite meal, we have not rehearsed this, Yvonne, my favorite meal is Chinese steak. Good. That's exactly what I'm prepared to say. Chinese steak is my favorite meal. It's a, it's a rice dish with this... Uh, um, steak, you can put chicken in there, just chunks of beef with um, tomato slices in there and pea pods. And it's kind of, the sauce is really kind of key to it. I don't even know what's in the sauce, but I, the sauce is key. And then you take your rice and you pour this on there and then you eat it with chopsticks and, and it's really good, right? Um, now, if you'd ask me, why are those ingredients so special to you? I'm like, I like it. Like, like what, what, what do those things symbolize? Or what do they, what do they, what do you mean? <laughs> I don't know. I, I just know that I, I like it. And when I have a birthday dinner, uh, that's, that's what I like. Well, no, what, like, what about the beef? What do you like about the beef? You know, I like the beef altogether on the rice and stuff. And, and to push, I, I feel like sometimes with all the ingredients, you're, you're, you're pushing God too far. Where God just says, it's a pleasing aroma. This is what I've got. This is how I've asked you to make this. And I don't know if there's got to be the secondhand reason why on every little detail in here. That's an open question to ponder. How far to push the spiritualizing? Because I have heard this week quite a bit of spiritualizing. All right, let's start with the, the fine flour. Okay, that's the first ingredient here. You can see it every time. The fine flour, the fine flour, the fine flour. It's simply crushed up grain. The worshipers would take the grain, they'd crush it up somehow, whether it's a millstone or whatever, and make it fine, make it smooth, make it, make it nice. The second, each offering contained oil. I think that by the time you put uh, flour and oil together, it kind of gives it some consistency. Uh, fine flour alone would simply blow away in the breeze. Right? Remember this sacrifice took outside? Could you imagine just taking flour in your hand like this? It'd be, be blowing all over the place. Maybe you cover it in your Tupperware or something, but you, it would blow over. But if you put the oil, then it becomes substantial and you can deal with it. Now, frankincense is a third ingredient in verse 2, but it only comes in the uncooked offerings or in the, the new grain first fruits offering. And, and by the way, also, all of it was burned um, as it came, so I'm not sure they mixed it all. And then when the priest took the, the handful where they put some frankincense on there and burned it, that's what I, I think took place. Now, here's the question, though. Why would the Lord give these details for the burnt offerings? And I say, I don't know. Now, that's not to say I've not heard things. I've heard a lot. Um, for instance, about the fine flour. I heard this week or read this week talking about just how it's a fine flour, that there's no inconsistency in it. There's no lumps in it, just like Jesus. No inconsistency in Him, just smooth and gone. I'm like, okay, that's... I'm not sure that's what the fine flour is really about, but that can draw us to Jesus, but I think we go to Jesus other ways. Or, or the oil, right? The oil represents the Holy Spirit, right? The anointing of the Holy Spirit, and that's why you have the oil in there and I'm like, well, maybe you have the oil so the flour doesn't go away and so you form this thing that you can even eat. Um, but it makes for a nice preaching, a nice illustration. But what happens is, this, this really what's happening is, oil, oh, Holy Spirit. Fine flour, oh, perfect, oh, Jesus. Frankincense, oh, the loveliness of Christ. Maybe. 
Oh, it takes us back to the birth of Christ when Jesus given frankincense. Okay, coincidence maybe? Like, did the Magi come and say, "Oh, here's the burnt offering. Going to bring the burnt offering to Jesus." I just don't. I just don't know. For me, they, they go. That goes pretty far. You can think about that. I just throw that out there for you. But, but here's what I see. I think one of the biggest things here is this is a simple offering. I think if anything stands out to me, it's simple. I mean, you can't find a more simple recipe than two ingredients. Flour and oil. And we're going to see here in verse 13, right? You add salt as well. So here's the recipe for what you're going to bring to the Lord. Flour, salt, and oil. It's elaborate God to create His worship. Fundamentally, there's simplicity about it. The most simple recipe that there could be. You all have flour and oil and, and salt in your pantries. Wait, ladies, you got that today, right? I just think it's simple. That's what I think some of the point is. God's not telling you to bring and buy all this costly stuff. He's just saying, what you got? Just make it and give it. Just like the gospel. This is where I would come to Jesus. It's just simple. It's not elaborate. It's not these mantras that we got a chance. It's not the right words we have to say. It's simply if you confess your mouth, Jesus Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. Simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. It's repent and believe in the gospel. That's it. It's simple. It's easy for, for children to believe. Acknowledge the holiness of God. Confess your sin. Turn from that sin. Believe in Christ. Follow the Lord with the strength that He supplies. That's the gospel. It's so easy. It's just these three little elements. We come and worship the Lord. That's where I might, might go in simplicity, but you can take all the symbolism. You, you, you do with what you want. But, but I, I want us to bring some realism to this Leviticus uh, teaching here. So, I talked to Yvonne last night and I said, you know what, it hasn't struck me yet, but can you, let, let's try to make some of this stuff. And so, so Yvonne, Yvonne got to cooking and uh, if you mix these three ingredients, here's what you get. Okay, you get this, you get this, this gooey kind of greasy, oily, oily ball. Okay. And uh, so I'm, so picture this, right? The priest, when he takes the uh, uncooked offering, he he grabs, maybe there's a big boy, he grabs a hunk of this and throws it on the fire. I don't know how well it burns. I have no idea. It's got some oil in there and flour. It, it, it might go up. We, we don't, don't exactly know. I got some, I'm really greasy up here. Uh, there's, there's the uncooked. And uh, I also got some, some cooked things in here as well. Okay, this is about what the, what the cooked stuff looks like. And uh, it kind of looks like a, I said falafel, it's kind of like a tortilla kind of thing. Um, but as I tasted this, I like this stuff. Okay. I think I've been to some foreign restaurants and had some things um, a little bit like this. In fact, at the end of my message, kids, you're going to be able to have some of, the, some of the uncooked stuff and some of the cooked stuff. We'll just peel some off for you so you can taste kind of this. But this is what the priest would live on. Maybe new pastoral diet, all right? I'll take my Chinese steak over these things. <laughs> but uh, enough to say that um, this is a main meal, what they did. They, they ate the bread. Now, there were two ingredients that were prohibited, right? There was uh, honey and leaven. That's verse 11, right? Look, look, look down here, verse 11. No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall... Burn no leaven nor any honey as food offering to the Lord. I, I want to deal with the honey first, just because it's a little shorter, and then we'll deal with the, the leaven. Why not honey? Well, uh, again, I want, to, I want to just share with you some perspectives I heard this week as pastors were, were preaching on this text. They said, well, see, honey is syrupy sweet. And Jesus never was syrupy sweet. <laughs> like, all right. Um, another one said that honey ferments. We see that breaks down food, and it's a it's a it's a um, a, um, a bad thing. And Jesus never was engaged in the fermentation or the breaking down thing. And, and then Yvonne and I were at a, a wedding, um, yes, Friday night, and my nephew-in-law, I guess, married my niece. He's like this big-time cow farmer in um, in Michigan. And one thing he's talking about is the harvest time right now, so it's really hard for him to get away. 
um, because, you know, they're harvesting and they harvest, you know, that's earlier than normally we harvest around here because they harvest it green so as to be able to feed it green to the cows because they feed everything. It's not just the, the ears. They, they get everything. So they cut up the whole thing. And what they do is this has got to last all year long. But if it's green corn stalk, it's got to last all year long. It was incredible. We talked about it. I hope we do a field trip there to his, his farm someday. But he, he says he puts in, I don't know how, I'm going to guess now. I think it's 20 tons or 50 ton bags, plastic bags, 50 tons. Is that right? 500 feet long, 14 feet around, plastic bags. They shove all this stuff in and then they seal it up. And so then to keep it and preserve it. And they do in the harvest, they're harvesting, I think he said, 500, you know, maybe seven, 800 acres, I forget what it is. And they're going to make like about 15 of these big, big, big plastic bags. And one of the things he said in there is like, doesn't it rotten? Doesn't it go bad? And he said, no, it, it ferments. I'm thinking like, oh, ferments. Like when I, and I talked to him about my apple cider and I plug my apple cider and it leaves out in the garage. It ferments. Oh, it's like, well, it's like vinegar. No, no, it doesn't work like that. What happens is the fermentation process actually sweetens it and the cows love it after it's fermented for two or three months. In fact, the longer it's cemented, the more the, the sugary, it's kind of broken down some stuff and more the sugary, so it's more tasteful and so it's better. So I'm thinking about, yeah, honey ferments, that's a bad thing, but... For the cows, it's a good thing, and maybe fundamentally it tastes better. So it's like all in a matter of one's own interpretation, I guess. Or another preacher said this, that, that, that honey is natural sweetness. And see, there's some people who just have this natural sweetness, but no, you need to have this manufactured sweetness that only Jesus can bring. So that, that's how far these, these things go. I, here, you know what, here's my response, why you can't have honey? I don't know. That's fine for me. I'm just saying, I just don't know. And uh, maybe you want to attach yourself to some of those other things. I'm not exactly sure. But when it comes to leaven, okay, leaven is out throughout the Bible. And I heard some of the pastors say, oh, the leaven is always evil. Whenever the Bible speaks about evil, right? Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees. See, leaven is evil. You got a problem with that statement because look at verse 12. As an offering of first fruits, you may bring them to the Lord. In other words, you can bring honey and you can bring leaven and a first fruits offering, only, as the verse continues, they shall not be offered on the altar as a pleasing aroma. Don't burn them. You can bring them to the priest, right? And the Brandon family, as you bring some um, leavened bread, which is kind of more tasty, will appreciate that. Right? Or sweetened with honey, kind of appreciate that. You just don't, you just don't burn. And, and so you've got a problem if you say that leaven is evil, but what you can bring it sometimes, but it's, it's evil. So if you just say leaven is always even in the Bible, you, you've got some difficulties there. And furthermore, in Leviticus 23, bread that's brought as first fruits was required to have leaven. And in Hezekiah's day, honey was added to the offering of the first fruits as well. And so I think if anything to do with this honey and leaven, it has to do with the burning of the altar. Right? It's permissible at other times, just when you're going to burn, don't burn honey and leaven. Why? I, I, I don't know. Let me just summarize. Gordon Wenham's got a good good paragraph here. He says this, no rationale for the ban on the use of yeast and sacrifices provided in the Bible. If it was explained in the Bible, we say, okay, that's we got it, but there's no ban. Most commentators reckon that yeast and honey were prohibited because they caused fermentation. This, they believe, was unacceptable because it suggested corruption. Another explanation is that yeast is a living organism and only dead things should be burned on the altar of sacrifice. In other words, there's nothing explained in the Bible. I say just leave it alone. Well, let's move on to the required agreement, required ingredient, verse 13. This is the salt. Listen how emphatic Moses was about the salt. Salt. Three times. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of your covenant with your God be missing from your grain offerings. And with all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Now, initially, I'd be inclined to say salt. That's probably just a flavor thing. But I think it probably is a flavor thing because... If you've had bread without salt, it's bad news, okay? It doesn't taste so good. At our house, we just kind of throw that bread away because it's like, it doesn't taste good. So I, initially, my thing would be taste, but there's something else going on here because it's called the, the salt of the covenant. This, by the way, is mentioned two other places in Scripture, Numbers 18, 19, and 2 Chronicles 13, 5. Um, let me just read these passages for you. And just kind of tell you the significance of them. Think about salt. See if you can hear anything that's consistent. 
Numbers 18, 19, speaking about Aaron and the leftovers that he's going to give. And he says, all the holy contributions of the people of Israel present to the Lord, I give to you and to your sons and daughters as a perpetual due. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord for you and your offspring with you. Now there's going to be faithful to the priest forever. You're going to be provided for. Second one is in 2 Chronicles 13, 5. Abijah, fighting with Jeroboam, rebuked Jeroboam because he's fighting against the king. And he said this, 2 Chronicles 13, Hear me, O Jeroboam, and all Israel... Ought you not to know that the Lord God is in Israel gave the kingship over to Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt? So you got given to the priest a covenant of salt forever faithful to you. David, it's a covenant of salt for the kingship to ever be faithful. And I think the idea here is that uh, salt represents just some kind of eternal faithfulness, whether it's to the priests or whether it's to the kings. God is going to be faithful because there's this enduring forever quality about salt. You put it on the altar, you try to burn salt, it's not going to burn very well. It's just always going to be around. It won't build up. There'll be residue on the altar, which is a sign of God's faithfulness. Just like in the wintertime, right? We put salt on the roads. What do we see? We see all this white stuff on the roads. And I think there'll be salt residue that's hanging around. It's just a testimony of God's faithfulness. This recipe is simple. But it's powerful. And God's covenant endures forever. So I'm just thinking about, okay, let's, let's think about, does that have application to us? We just think about forever, right? What's, what's forever, right? This is the message we bring, right? We're not just living for this life. We're living for the life to come. And God's faithfulness to these people ultimately ended in Christ. And that God is, Christ is the faithful eternal priest. And, and Christ is the king that's going to endure forever. And our promise, we trust in him. We likewise can join that forever life. This is the promise He made us. Eternal life. 1 John 2.25 Jesus said, I'm the living bread that came down of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will never die. I think that's where I'd like to go to Christ. Just never die in trusting in Jesus. His covenant of salt is faithful. Believe in Jesus. Your hope of He has an eternal hope. Just as salt never fades away, so also God's promise is faithful and never fades away. All right. Well, there's the offering and ingredients, and let's get down to the meaning. Okay, that's my third point, the meaning. And this one becomes a little bit gnarly as well, because there's lots of questions and no real explanation here in, in Leviticus chapter 2. Remember in chapter 1, it was about the burnt offering, there was explanation given. Verse 4, he shall lay his hand on the head of the bolt, burnt offering, it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. The burnt offering was given to deal with our sin, but no purpose clause is given here in the grain offering. So you got to think about, okay, so what's, what's the grain offering mean? And I would suggest, recommend that a, a good place to go to figure out the grain offering would be to look through the Bible and see where the grain offering is mentioned and where it is used and see if you can kind of figure out the context of that. And, and if you do that, you can do that. I just went on BibleGateway.com and typed in grain offering and printed out whatever, 100 references, wherever it was. And I found something interesting that almost every time it's involved and engaged with another offering. Rarely is it alone. There are some times it's alone. The sin offering, it can be alone. If you can't afford your bull or ram or doves, you can offer this for your sin offering. That's it alone. But often it is with the burnt offering. Remember last week I told you the burnt offering was daily and weekly and monthly and yearly for all these feasts. It was the burnt offering and right on its tails came the grain offering. It's almost like burnt offering first, grain offering second. Now that's not always how it is. Often they're, they're together, but it, it seems in many ways burnt offering and grain offering. Sometimes with peace offerings and things like that. But I I think that one of the things, a major clue, is how associated it is with other sacrifices gives you a hint of this. And maybe it's response. Maybe it's a response to the, the burnt offering, a response to atonement. And I just say this, what is your response to atonement? When you think about Jesus dying on the cross, what, what kind of response do you have? The grain offering can be those kind of things. It's a response of giving. Right? When, when Jesus gave himself for you, you give yourself to him and to others. I think there's also an internal response of, of thanks. The hymn writer says, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation, so rich and so free. Right? There's this, this thanks response. For the Heidelberg Catechism, question number 43. What benefit to receive from the sacrifice and death of Christ on the cross? 
One, that by virtue thereof, their old man is crucified, dead and buried with him. Two, so that the corrupt inclinations of flesh may no more reign us. And three, that we may offer ourselves unto him as a sacrifice of thanksgiving. There's a response. So I think that the grain offering we can think about in thanks, thanks to redemption. And I think we get another clue of that. Turn over to chapter 7. Now, this is the, a chapter where it's talking about the priests as they receive these sacrifices and what they're supposed to do with them. In chapter 7, verse 11, we begin reading this. And this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings that one may offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the thanksgiving sacrifices unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and loaves of fine flour mixed with oil. What does that sound like? Sounds a lot like a grain offering to me. He continues on. With the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving, he shall bring his offering with loaves of unleavened bread. Do you notice what the grain offering was called there? It was called the thanksgiving offering. Verse 13. Right? If he offers it for Thanksgiving, verse 13, the sacrifice of his priest offering for Thanksgiving, that's not where it is. It is here, it is verse 12. It's called the Thanksgiving sacrifice. I think the the grain offering can be a Thanksgiving sacrifice. And we're commanded to be thankful, right? Enter his gates with Thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Psalm 100, verse 4. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Or let's turn over to Psalm 107. Psalm 107, you see the clear connection between redemption and thanksgiving. And I would contend that this is often where the the grain offering comes in. Psalm 107 begins, O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed say so. Let those who have been purchased by the blood of Christ, let those who have been purchased by God, He's been redeemed from His troubles, let Him give thanks to the Lord. And then we have four stories about those who are wandering in the wilderness. Verse 6, they cried to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of distress. Verse 8, let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works in the children of men. Or the prisoners, verse 10, they were in trouble. Verse 13, they cried to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them from their distress. They should, verse 15, let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love and His wondrous works among the children of men. Or the fools, Right, who, who just acted foolishly in verse 17 and verse 19, where she said, they cried to the Lord in their distress and He delivered them from their distress. And they, verse 21, should let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works among the sons of men. Or, or those sailors who go down the sea in ships and they're, they're caught in a plight and they're in danger. And when they were in distress, verse 28, they cried in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. Verse 31, let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wonders among the sons of men. You see a clear connection between salvation and thanksgiving. I would contend burnt offering and grain offering just to thank the Lord. And, and the application really comes to us. Are you you're thankful people? It's expressed in giving. It's expressed in sharing. It's the grain offering here today. And, and I think what we think about thanksgiving really has much to do with your heart. I mean, you, you can give on the externals and just, okay, whatever, but it's, it's really the heart it's the, the issue with things. So I want you to think, as, as we close here, I want you to think about Cain and Abel. Because often I've heard, and people often think, that you know, Cain and Abel brought their sacrifice, and Abel, Abel was, a, was a farmer, and so he brought the sheep, and he sacrificed. But Cain, he just brought from the field, and that was rejected. And oftentimes I've heard, well, he was rejected because he didn't bring an animal sacrifice. Is a grain sacrifice wrong? Grain sacrifice is not wrong. It's okay that he brought a grain sacrifice. Now, maybe it wasn't first fruits, okay? But I would contend with Cain that there was something deeper going on in his heart, not just this external, what did he bring? Because you remember there in Genesis chapter 4, the issue was his countenance. Cain, why is your countenance fallen? Like Cain, there's something in you. Sin is at the door and it's describing, it's, it's looking to grab you. Deal with your conscience. Deal with your countenance. Deal with your, your faith before the Lord. Deal with your thankfulness before the Lord. Deal with the right heart attitude. There's something wrong in Cain, inside, internally. 
And then when you get over to Hebrews, it's my last text, go up to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. I think now in verse 4 we see why Cain's sacrifice was rejected and why Abel's, why Abel's was accepted. And I bring this up because this is, a, this is a grain offering. And we can offer grain offerings like Cain did and be rejected. It says, Hebrews 11, verse 4, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Here's Abel, who was commended to God. Why? Because of his faith. Because of his internal, I believe, trust and disposition to the Lord. And Cain was not. Because I believe his internal disposition to the Lord was wrong and off. And I say that's a... That's, that's coming to us as well, is as we think about a grain offering, as we think about giving to Christ, we think about giving to the church, we think about giving to God's ministry, just make sure we do so with the right heart. And not with the wrong heart. We're, we're going to see as we go on that God is not pleased with just any old sacrifice. He desires mercy rather than sacrifice. Though He commands it. There's another place in the Bible that says, you've not desired sacrifice and offering. And we'll see those in the next couple of weeks because it has to do with our heart in our giving. And I, you know, if anything that he, Leviticus is pushing us to is to be holy, be a holy people. And I just say, how's your heart in your giving? How's your heart in offering up the grain offerings? And may the Lord sanctify us in these things. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that we might not be like Cain in our grain offerings. It's not that we offer grain, but we bring financial resources to You all the time. And so, Lord, would pray that You'd help us to do so by faith, the pure heart, giving thanksgiving, God, in a thankful way. Lord, that You might delight to receive our offering. I thank you for the truths that I've pulled out here of the simplicity of this offering. It's not complex. It's real easy. It's, it's real common household things that we all have. God, just believing and trusting in Christ. Um, and Father, how it needs to be done in faith as well. would pray you help us with that. Thank you for this picture of salt. How enduringly faithful, oh God, you are. You've made a covenant of salt. This promise to be faithful to us. And, and Lord, we... We just come to you desperate, saying, God, we need your help. And we plead, God, that you would just show your faithfulness to us. So, God, make us a generous people. God, make us a people who love coming to you and love offering up to you from whatever we have. God, a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips to give thanks to your name. God, may those sorts of things flow from our lips and flow from our hearts. Teach us here in Leviticus, so to worship you. Thank you that you've given us a way to come to you. God, those in the Old Testament did these things to come, but we can come through Christ and that rejoice. I pray, Lord, that this word would be profitable for us for teaching and reproof, correction and training in righteousness. Oh God, equip us for every good work as your law tells us, as your word tells us, the law of Leviticus can do to our souls. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.